Thank you. Exodus chapter 34. And if you can, would you please stand? Let's read verses 5 through 8. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him right there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him, referring to Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. And verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head, his face, towards the earth and worshipped. Please be seated. Oh, Lord our God, we, we, we cry out as Sam was praying. We, we say, Amen. Speak to us. Help us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord. It's in Christ, His precious name, that we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I have series in my mind to preach, but for the past two weeks, the Lord has been placing my heart to, pe- to preach and teach about forgiveness, to do a theology of forgiveness. Uh, and some might be saying, why forgiveness? I don't believe that we have mastered the subject, the subject of forgiveness and we will never master. We will actually be praising forgiveness for all eternity. And I was thinking about how it would be fitting for our church to just pause the different series that are in my mind, the books of the Bible that I'm going to preach through, and, and honestly help all of us to Understand better the subject of forgiveness. Think about the different situations in our lives that we went in the past, that we have been going, and that we will go through. So, as an under-shepherd, I think it would be vital for us to think about the topic of forgiveness of sins. It's a beautiful subject, and yet it's very misunderstood. Very misunderstood. Uh, with our church growing numerically, and the type of church that we are, a church that's so deeply involved with one another, there's absolutely no way for us to not sin against each other. That's how it is. There is no way. We are going to sin. I have sinned against you. You have sinned against me. And that's just part of the Christian life. Uh, I I, I love what J. Adams writes. He says, Forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the Christian home and the church running smoothly. In a world where even those who have been declared perfect in Christ they sin, there is much to forgive. 
Christians who must work together closely, find themselves denting each other's fenders, now and then taking out a taillight or two, and at times even having head-on collisions. Under such conditions, forgiveness is what keeps things from breaking down completely. And we need, we need this oil in the machinery of our homes and church to keep running smoothly. Amen? Uh, I, I was thinking about the topic of forgiveness, and that's certainly one of the most important topics in the Christian life. What is the Christian life but the life of the one who has been forgiven by Christ? There are only two types of people in the world. Those who have been forgiven by Christ and those who are not. Forgiven and unforgiven. That's the only two types of people that we have in the world. I would say also that there are only two types of religions. The religion that says that man can somehow achieve his own forgiveness, justification by his works, and there's Christianity that says that forgiveness is accomplished by Christ alone. That's why we call Christianity the good news. Good news, there is forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Think about Christ as He's instituting the Lord's Supper to remember His life, His death. As He grabs the cup, He says, drink this, do this in remembrance of me because this is my blood, my life that's shed for the forgiveness of many. That's beautiful. Celebration, what we do, so much of all we do is celebrating the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. I love the Lord's Supper. I love the Lord's Supper. Because it's a time when we celebrate that what we could never have done on our own. Find forgiveness before God. I love, I love celebrating, singing about forgiveness. I love the chorus, the verse. My sin, oh the bliss. What a glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Jesus says that he came to accomplish forgiveness of sins. And that's why forgiveness is necessary, because there is sin. J.C. Ryle, he says, All people, all people need forgiveness, because all people are sinners. He that does not know this knows nothing. It's the very ABCs of Christianity. We are all great sinners. There is none righteous, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 10 and 23. Sinners we were born, and sinners we have been all our lives. We must either be forgiven or perish everlasting. And then he says, Sin is the family disease of all the children of Adam. Why does the difference is between the nations of the earth they have always been found to have one great mark in common. Europe and Asia, Africa and America, Iceland and India, Paris and Peking, all alike have the mark of sin. 
The eye of the Lord looks down on this globe of ours as it rolls around the sun and sees it covered with corruption and wickedness. What God sees in the moon and stars in Jupiter and Saturn, I cannot tell. But on the earth, I know that he sees sin. And that's why forgiveness is so vital and so important. We all here desperately need forgiveness. We need the forgiveness of God. We desperately need the forgiveness of God. We desperately need the forgiveness of one another. Amen. And we all desperately need to forgive others. So it's a desperate subject, I would say. Uh, thinking about the importance of forgiveness, and it's amazing how the book of Revelation says that right now in heaven, the hymn, and for all eternity, we are going to be singing about forgiveness of sins. So it says in Revelation 5, 9, Worthy are you to take this scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you uh, ransom. That's another word for forgiveness. You ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And this heavenly hymn is the fulfillment of David's hymn in the Old Testament, Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, under the Old Covenant, they would be singing, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And the solution is found in the Lamb of God. That's what they're singing in heaven. Think about the Christian life, as we were talking about. It's lived in the community of God's people. God saved us and He placed us in a community of people. And think about that. We have not yet been glorified. We sin. We sin. Think about God's plan, His wisdom, because He saved us. According to Romans 8, He predestined us, He saved us to be conformed to the image of whom? His Son. And right now, we are going through the process that's called what? Sanctification or Christification. We are becoming more and more like Christ. Amen? And how we are going to become more and more like Christ if we do not have the opportunity to be what? Forgiving. And forgive others when others sin against us. If we don't have people sinning against us, right now in this process, we will never be able to be more like Christ and be forgiving. So that's His wisdom. Paul tells us to be kind to one another, tender heart, forgiving, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Hmm. So you think about that. We celebrate forgiveness. We talk about forgiveness. The hymns we sing is about forgiveness. So much of what we talk about is related to the forgiveness of sins. And yet we know so little about forgiveness. If someone was to ask you, what is forgiveness according to the Bible? Suppose somebody comes to Hannah and says, Hannah, what is forgiveness? You, you talk about forgiveness of sins. What is forgiveness according to the Bible? Sam, what is to be pardoned by God? What, what is that? How would you answer? What is 
forgiveness. And, and then he, there are so many questions behind that. Think, think about, what does it mean for God to forgive a sinner? What does forgiveness mean according to God's word? You see, in our society, forgiveness, it's okay. It's okay. Is that what forgiveness is? Is forgiveness unconditional or conditional? Does God forgive unconditionally? Am I, am I supposed to forgive someone who has not repented of his sins? Or am I supposed to just forgive everyone? It doesn't matter. On what basis does God forgive sin? If we are forgiven of our sins in Christ, why do we need to keep confessing our sins and repenting and crying out for forgiveness of sins? How about guilt? Christians who spend their lives immersed under the guilt of past sins. Is that biblical forgiveness? A person who spends his life immersing guilt from past sins, does a person like that understand biblical forgiveness? How about what we hear so often? I just cannot forgive myself. You just need to forgive yourself. Do we find in the Bible anything about forgiving yourself? I forgiving myself? I need to forgive myself? Or God has to forgive someone? Or I need to forgive others? Or I need to embrace God's forgiveness in my life? If we must always forgive unconditionally... What's up with church discipline? Why do you have church discipline? If you're just simply to forgive and forget, like we hear so often. What is? Is, is that biblical? For, forgive and forget. Is that in the Bible? Are you supposed to forget things? How am I to forgive my brothers and sisters? When should I overlook an offense? Because the Bible says it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. So that's... My prayer that as we walk through this series, that our understanding of forgiveness will increase. That first of all, we will be humbled before the Lord that He has forgiven us. And that we will grow in the understanding of forgiveness. And we will forgive, be forgiving, and understand how precious this subject is. That's my prayer as we walk through this series. Uh, so my goal, just so you know, uh, as we are going through the sermons, my goal is today just to have an introduction. We're going to have an introduction about forgiveness, how forgiveness has a central theme in the Bible and how it's a central theme in the character of God. The next Lord's Day, Lord willing, I want to trace a biblical theology of forgiveness from Genesis to Revelation, how the theme of forgiveness is developed. So that's my, my hope. And then once the doctrine is established, once the theology is well-grounded, then we can move to the practical aspects. See, because people want to come and always ask the practical things. So they want the windows, they want the doors. But you need to have the foundation, first of all. That's how Paul does in his letters. First the doctrine, first the theology, and then what? The practical aspects of the theology. Okay, so that's my goal. So for today, we are going to be looking at the importance of forgiveness in the Word of God and then the importance of forgiveness in the character of God. So I would say that, that as we look about the importance of forgiveness in the Bible, I would say that the drama of redemption, the whole story of the Bible, 
is the story of a forgiving and holy God making the way for his people to dwell in his presence by forgiving them of their sins against him through the sacrifice of the Messiah. So that would be the basic plot of the Bible. What is the Bible all about? So that's one of the ways of looking at the Bible. The story, the drama of a forgiving God with a sinful people and his making the way to forgive these people of their sins against him, and he forgives these people through the sacrifice of the Messiah, the Son. Okay? Uh, we will see later, uh, even today and next Lord's Day, how the main idea behind forgiveness is not forget. The main idea behind forgiveness is to bring the person back into God's presence, to dwell under his smiling face. That's the main idea of forgiveness. Sin destroys the relationship. Forgiveness brings the relationship back. So from beginning to end, the Bible shows the importance of forgiveness. You think about Genesis chapter 3. What do we have in Genesis 3? The fall. We have the fall. Sin is introduced. That's the sin coming into history. And as sin comes... What comes with sin? The necessity to be forgiven. And we see a God who is forgiving. Right in Genesis 3, He could have just destroyed human race and He would be righteous, holy, good, beautiful, majestic, just annihilating human race for their sin. And yet He shows to be forgiving. And He shows that He will forgive through the seed of the woman. The seed who will come to bring forgiveness. I think about as the development of the Bible, and that's my plan for next Lord's Day. We think about the tabernacle, the temple. What, what, what is that? But it's God's institution for Him to dwell with His people and His people to find forgiveness. Where did they find forgiveness under the Old Covenant? Through the sacrifices. And where, where, where would they bring the sacrifices? To the altar, in the temple, the tabernacle. So that's... And you see, so much of the Old Testament is related to that. And there's so much of the prophets calling the people to repent, repent. Why do they need to repent? To receive forgiveness. And that's why the, the prophets, the Lord bring to the prophets the vision of a new covenant. And one of the most glorious blessings of the new covenant is, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. That was one of the most glorious promises. You think about Isaiah chapter 40. So from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 66, it's a new section in Isaiah where he's talking about now how God is going to bring a new exodus through the suffering servant. That's Isaiah 40 through 66. And it's amazing how Isaiah chapter 40 opens. It opens like that. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. You speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her that her warfare is ended. It's beautiful how he used the past tense even though it's in the future. Why? Because it's certain. Will be accomplished. So he says, her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is what? Pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So now we start understanding why. For example, we come to the Gospel of Mark, and Mark opens his Gospel with a quotation from Isaiah 40. Why? 
That's the idea. With the coming of Jesus Christ, the expectation of forgiveness of sins has arrived. So, the fulfillment of the great expectation of forgiveness of sins arrives with the person of Jesus Christ. So, the story of Jesus' life from infancy to ascension is dominated by the account of his mission to provide forgiveness. So, for example, as we move to the New Testament, we see in the life of Jesus, right even before he was born, think about Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And here's what he says. The angel tells Zechariah, And you, Zechariah, speaking prophetically about John, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. That's Isaiah 40. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of what? Their sins. So the coming of Christ is prepared by John already proclaiming forgiveness of sins. Or the angel tells Joseph that Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sin. What is that? Bringing forgiveness of sins. So Jesus frequently, frequently taught about the importance of forgiveness of sins. Just some examples you have there. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 6, as he's teaching us the Lord's Prayer, he comes and he says, forgive us our debts, as we haven't forgiven our debtors. And then he goes on to expand more in verse 14, or Matthew chapter 18, where he tells the parable of the unforgiving. Remember, the, the unforgiving master who gets and chokes the one who was owing him when he had been forgiven his debt. So there are many teachings of Jesus about forgiveness. Uh, Jesus not only taught about forgiveness, but he also forgave people. So he goes through all the Gospels' accounts, and frequently Jesus forgives people. He's forgiving. So, for example, in Matthew 9, And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And look at that. When Jesus saw what? Their faith. Remember, faith and repentance and forgiveness of sins, they all always walk together. You cannot divorce one from the other. Repentance, faith, and forgiveness, it's always together. So when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Jesus prayed for forgiveness while he was hanging on the cross. It's, it's intriguing that he doesn't forgive them, but he shows a forgiving heart. Father, forgive them. He could have said, I forgive all of you. Did he say that? He could. He forgave one sinner on the cross. He could have said, I forgive all of you. Isn't it interesting that he forgave just one man on the cross? The one who repented? So Jesus prayed for forgiveness. So you see, his whole life is marked by forgiveness of sins. Before his death, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And as we saw before, he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. Say, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So you think about Jesus from before he was born until his death, the emphasis on forgiveness of sins. And then you think it would stop, right? Okay, Jesus died, so now we are done with forgiveness of sins. No, as soon as he comes out of the tomb, as he's resurrected, he's talking about forgiveness. So, for example, in Luke chapter 24, the reason Jesus, right after he's resurrected, you see how his last words were about forgiveness. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. 
And he said to them, Thus it's written in the Old Testament that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that what? Repentance. For the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Hmm. And that's not it. There's more. In John 20, the reason Christ comes to the disciples before his ascension, and it says, and it says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them a new humanity. Do you remember in Genesis 1 when God breathed on Adam? Now he's breathing a new humanity, and this new humanity is the new temple. The new temple. And he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? And he, he already moves to forgiveness. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Ah, why is Jesus talking about forgiveness? Like he just breathed the Holy Spirit. It's his last words. Why is he talking about forgiveness? Oh, because now it's the new temple. The new temple. Where is forgiveness going to be found? In his people. His dwelling is his people in the church. So that's why Christ is teaching about forgiveness right here. All right, so we are done, right? So Jesus, okay, now you're done. He is resurrected. Now over. No. So you go to the book of Acts and we see how the reason and ascended Jesus Christ he keeps forgiving and proclaiming forgiveness in Acts and the rest of the scriptures. So Acts chapter 2, 38. Peter, in his great sermon there, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or in Acts chapter 5, uh, the high priest is prohibiting the apostles to preach the gospel. And Peter replies, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. Why did God raise him? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Christ was exalted. In order to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 10. At Cornelius' home, Peter says, To Jesus all the prophets bear witness. Just like in Luke chapter 24. That everyone who believes in Him receives, receives forgiveness of sins through His name. When Paul is preaching Antioch, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by Him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And then it's beautiful how Paul declares that his whole mission, when Jesus called him to be an apostle, the center of his preaching was forgiveness of sins. So he says, And I said, remember as he sees the Lord, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Isn't that amazing? Paul is persecuting the church, and Jesus says what? You're persecuting me? I thought you were persecuting the church. You're persecuting me? It's my people. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen 
me and, and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. So you start seeing the priority of forgiveness throughout the whole scriptures, the importance of forgiveness of sins, how it has a major emphasis and you go through Paul's letters, and a lot of times Paul uses the word justification, justified more often than forgiveness, but you can read his letters. It's all about being forgiven, what is to be forgiven in Christ, accepted in the beloved. Uh, the book of Revelation might not use the word forgiveness or forgiven, but use ransom. That's the same idea. And use imageries of being forgiven. So, for example, in, in the book of Revelation, the images of being forgiven are these beautiful pictures of Christians eating the manna, the new manna, or sitting at the table, they were forgiven, or wearing the white garments, that they, they were forgiven. So you start seeing the, the beauty of forgiveness throughout the whole pages of scriptures. Uh, some of the hardest, the harshest words of Jesus are related to forgiveness. Jesus says, "For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those are harsh words. Whoa. Or Matthew eighteen seventeen. If he refuses to listen to them, meaning repenting, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, meaning repent, even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Meaning he's not receiving forgiveness of sins. And there are many other texts that we could go through. But you can see how the Bible places an extraordinary emphasis on forgiveness of sins. And I would say that the reason why the Bible talks so much about, sin, about forgiveness is because the God of the Bible is a forgiving God. And that's the beauty. That's the glory. Because can you imagine if the Bible just talks about sin and sin and sin and you have never the solution? That would be despairing. But the Bible talks about forgiveness of sins because God is a forgiving God. And as we can go, let's go back to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And Exodus 34 comes after what? After 33, good. And 33 comes after what? 32. And what is Exodus 32 all about? Yes, the golden calf. Remember, the idol, idolatry. And you've got to understand what's taking place. Chapter 19, chapter 20, God makes a covenant with Israel. He enters into a covenant. The groom is taking the bride into a covenant relationship. The groom is giving the the house project, he's teaching them how his house is going to be like to bring so he can live with his bride. And as he's giving the instructions, what happened? Right in the night of the marriage, the, the wife goes and commits adultery. Chapter 32. Chapter 33 is Moses as a mediator, intercessor, pleading God's mercy. And God says, all right, all right. They can go. I'll take them to the promised land, but I'm not going with them. And what does Moses say? No. 
I don't care the land that we have. If you are not, if your presence is not with us, that's going to be worthless. So you start seeing how forgiveness is completely related to the, main, to the main subject of the Bible, that is, to dwell in God's presence. So, Exodus 34. We know that they sinned, they broke covenant, just like Adam. They, they look just like Adam. One scholar says that Exodus 30, 34 is the theological center of the book of Exodus. And it's amazing how these verses, look at verses 5 through 8. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and he proclaimed. Here's the Lord preaching the name, his own name, his attributes. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious is low to anger and abounding steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping chesed, steadfast love, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The glory of God, because God tells Moses that he will show him his glory. And his glory is revealed how? By the preaching. By the preaching, the proclamation of his own character. The glory of God is deeply connected to the proclamation of his own revelation. And these verses here, uh, a God merciful and gracious, low to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Honestly, that's the creed of the Old Testament. That's the statement of faith of the Old Testament. So from now on, every time somebody is going to talk about Yahweh, the Lord, they go back to Exodus 34. And they kind of quote the same verses here. So, for example, we see in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of the wonders that you perform. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding steadfast love. What is that? Nehemiah is going back to Exodus chapter 34. Or Psalm 86 that we read earlier this morning. For you, O Lord, you are good and forgiving, abounding steadfast love to all who call upon you. Going back to Exodus chapter 34. Joe, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Look at that, repentance. Rend, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding steadfast love, and He relents of, over disaster, meaning He forgives sins. They start seeing how that passage in Exodus chapter 34 about God's character, a forgiving God is going to be developed throughout the whole Old Testament. Moses is brought face to face with the reality that the God who called him, rescued Israel, and made a covenant with Israel, is a very forgiving God. Forgiving God. And he says, going back to Exodus 34, he keeps his steadfast love, his chesed, for thousands, forgiving. And look at that. Moses says, iniquity, transgressions, and sins. Three different words for sin. One word would be enough. But I like what uh, Desmond Alexander, he writes, he says, the extent of divine forgiveness is underlined by the fact that Yahweh forgives wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. The use of three different terms highlights the breadth, the extension of God's forgiveness. 
No type of human mis misdemeanor is beyond divine pardon when there is sincere repentance. The three is implying that he is able and willing to forgive all sins. All sins when there is repentance. Uh, sin, as we can see here, iniquity, transgression, sin or rebellion. Sin destroys relationship with God. Sin is what hinders God's face. We will see that. That's why Isaiah tells us, you, you, you are hiding your face from us because of our sins. And it's beautiful how the word for forgiving, there they have forgiving. The word nasa means to cause, to move up, lift up carry away, to take away, that's what the word for forgiveness, one of the words means, to bear, to take away. And you've got a picture here that's important to picture sin as this wall, this pile of garbage that's just hindering us to see God's smiling face. That's what sin is. It's this pile of excrement that's hindering us from beholding and enjoying the gracious face of God. And what God does is to remove. That's forgiveness. He's removing that. He's removing the wall that was blocking us. It's beautiful how the same word is used in Isaiah chapter 53. For the suffering servant. So now we start knowing how God will take away the sin. How He will forgive our sins. And we will see more of that next Lord's Day. But in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 12 says, Surely He took up, or Nasa, we could even translate, He forgave our infirmities. And the idea here is God taking up the infirmities and removing from His people in order for them to dwell with Him. And where does He place the infirmity? In the suffering servant. He takes our infirmity, and what does He do with our infirmity, or with our sin? He places in the one who knew no sin. He becomes sick, so we can be healed and dwell with Him. And He says, And He bore, Nasa, the sin of many. So, you start seeing the beauty of this forgiveness, and how we will be developed through the Scriptures. So, and you see also, that it says, Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So here we start seeing how God's forgiving character, His forgiving attitude is based on His love, His chesed, but He's holy and righteous and just. So we have distinction. God cannot just simply disappear is sin. Sin must be judged. In order to have forgiveness, there must be judgment. So you start seeing how there's distinction in God that He's holy, He's righteous, and yet He's forgiving, ready to forgive. That's, uh, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So we see how God's love, His readiness to forgive, kiss, kiss His holiness. And that's at the cross. First in the Old Testament was through the sacrifices, but ultimately those sacrifices were pointing to Jesus Christ. And it says, the, keeps visiting the iniquity. 
And, and sins have consequences. Sins have consequences. Think about King David. He was forgiven by God, amen? But his sins had consequences. Even though we are forgiven, we still bear consequences of our sins. Our relationship with God has been restored. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. But I still have consequences of that sin. Think about David, and that was passed through generations because of the consequence of sin. So that's also important to keep in mind that it's not because I have been forgiven that I might not have to pay certain consequences of my sin. I remember a man who I knew in his past, when he was 18, he murdered someone. When he was 28, he got saved. And he never told anybody. Until one day, it was a cold case, the cops knocked on his door, and he got arrested. Three little girls, nobody knew. Wasn't he forgiven? Why is God taking him to? There are consequences for sin. Oh, his relationship with God. Praise the Lord. He, has, he can dwell before his smiling face. So those are important things to keep in mind too as we, we, we learn and study about forgiveness. So we see how Moses here receives this beautiful picture of a God who is holy but is ready to forgive. A forgiving God. And Moses will never forget this picture. He will never forget this picture. A God who could and should have killed all of them right there. And he would be righteous. Just, still he was ready to forgive. And we know because he renews the covenant with them. So, we just see how this theme of a forgiving God, a God who is ready to forgive, just goes through the scriptures. So, for example, the well-known passage in Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. He's, he's ready. He's always ready and willing to forgive. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So thanks be to God that we have a forgiving, a forgiving God. would be... Worthless to have a God who is all-powerful and would not be forgiving, ready to forgive. Well, think about, turn with me to the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah. Right towards the end of the Old Testament. After Obadiah, before Micah, the book of Jonah. Because you see, this picture of Exodus chapter 34, it's a beautiful picture of a God who is so merciful, ready to forgive, and it just permeates the rest of the Scriptures. But then we come to the book of Jonah, and suddenly Jonah is quoting Exodus 34, but not with adoration, but in anger. A lot of times you ask people, why, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Why was Jonah so rebellious to go to Nineveh? And most people say what? Oh, the Ninevites were so violent. He was afraid. They were violent. The Assyrians were the, the, mo the most violent people in the earth. No. 
He didn't want to go to Nineveh. And he explains why. Look at there, towards the end of chapter 3, 3 verse 10. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they repented from their evil way, God forgave. He relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them. And He did not do it. Repentance, forgiveness. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful is low to anger and abounding steadfast love and relenting from disaster, meaning forgiving. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. He would rather die than to behold the forgiveness of God towards people whom he did not like. He did not like the Ninevites, so he did not God to be a forgiving God to them. And clearly, Jesus comes and He is the greater Jonah. He comes as the greater Jonah. Not only because of the death and resurrection picture, but because He's ready to welcome Gentiles into His kingdom. And you think about this character of God revealed to Moses, and then you come to the Gospels, and we know that the, I would say, the fullest, the clearest, the most lavishing, and the most beautiful revelation of God's forgiving character is then manifested in whom? In the Son. In John chapter 1 verse 18 says that Jesus exegeted. He did the work of exegesis. The Father. Showing the forgiving character of the Father in the Son. And as we saw, His whole life was marked by being forgiving, forgiving others. The culmination of his forgiving life took place when he was hanging naked on a Roman cross. After being mocked, flogged, humiliated, he prays for forgiveness and he forgave the criminal that was standing by him. That's beautiful. Here he is, naked, destroyed, humiliated, and yet ready Ready to what? To forgive. Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. All, all our trespasses, not some, all our trespasses, all our debt was paid in full. Why? To bring us, to bring us to the Father, to bring us into a relationship with the triune God. 
And that's what Paul is saying. There is absolutely no forgiveness outside Christ. It's only in Him, through Him, by Him, that there can be removal of guilt. All that guilt, that sin that hinders the relationship with the God of peace, it's all through Jesus Christ. No other way. No other way. Going back to Exodus, Exodus 34, and just to finish here, look at verse 8. As Moses beholds this forgiving God, says verse 8, And Moses quickly, quickly bowed his head toward the earth. And what did he do? Worship. And we have a much greater, a much greater understanding of this forgiving character of God. Therefore, we should move much faster than Moses in bowing our heads and worshiping Him. Jesus says that those who are forgiven much, what? Love much. Those who are forgiven much, worship much. Those who are forgiven much, will forgive much. That's why it's so vital to behold the power of forgiveness and understand, understand this topic. So my prayer is that as we walk through this theme, that the Lord will keep pouring, anointing us with this oil, this oil of forgiveness. Amen.